Hello and welcome to this episode of Political Debrief. I'm your host, Josh Oliveri. Today, I am very excited to welcome onto the show Greg McLean, the Conservative Member of Parliament for Calgary Centre. We touched on a ton of topics, but mostly focused on the environment, transition, and how we can move away from non-renewable energy sources. Here's our conversation. I'm Greg McLean. I'm the Member of Parliament for Calgary Centre, and uh, Calgary Centre is a downtown riding, so it encompasses a lot of area. I decided to run. Uh, I was in the finance business for the 23 years. And in 2018, I decided the country wasn't on a good financial plan. So I decided to run for parliament. And it took me a year kind of to get through the nomination with the Conservative Party, first of all, and then the 2019 election. And everything's been a blur since then because it's been nothing but go, go, go. Uh, but when I was young, we spent all the young we're talking about. I mean, of course, when I was uh, in school, like elementary school, junior high, even high school, you know, I did a, l- a little bit of work with each of my student councils, but I really got into it when I was at university and I joined the uh, the students union there. Uh, I got elected as the vice president of finance. So I was a finance student at the time and a friend of mine who was a political activist. We worked together. We played tennis together. And he says, Greg, I think it'd be really helpful if we got out of debt at the University of Alberta Students Union. So I put together a plan to get us out of debt. And that's been my mantra ever since, of course, is to try and get public organizations out of debt. Uh, so I continue on that on that uh, on that road here in uh, in Ottawa. And uh, needless to say, we're not doing that well as far as getting out of debt in Canada. We're getting more and more and more into debt. Troubles me quite a bit. So um, I guess I'm curious. Then you have um, a financial background, definitely. Then. You're a sitting member on the Standing Committee on Natural Resources, I think it's called. Um, Let me correct you there. I was once. Twice I was the uh, shadow critic or shadow minister slash critic for natural resources. Now I'm on the Environment Committee, which is one of my loves, by the way. Um, So the three things when I decided to run here where I thought I could add the most value was in finance, energy, so natural resources, and environment. Uh, you know, I do know finance. I worked for 23 years in the finance industry. Uh, I've got a chartered investment management certificate. So I managed uh, some significant money for uh, some large organizations. Uh, and that's, you know, other people's money that you're entrusted with. Uh, and it was a good career. And, uh, you know, then I, I thought I could add value in energy because a lot of people, you'd be surprised, don't understand the nature of energy, not just oil and gas, but energy itself. I think a lot of people think energy comes out of their wall socket, but it's an incredibly complex system that enables us to have the power we have on a regular basis delivered to our homes, for our heating, for our cooking, for for our lifestyle, if you will. Uh, everything we do depends on a great energy system. And the last one, of course, which I think ties in very well with energy, is the environment, because the two go hand in hand. When we do extract a lot from the earth, in order to sustain the lifestyles we have. And that requires some oversight and some government oversight to make sure that we're doing the right things, that we're not impacting the land and the air and the water more than we should, uh, and that we everything we're doing, we're trying to make as, uh, as low footprint as possible, if you will. So those are the, the three areas where I think I add value. They also all connect together because if you think about it, energy needs to be accessible, therefore, you know, it can't just be for rich people, if you will. 
it's got to be for everybody. In order for it to work for society, it's got to work for everybody. Therefore, it has to be somewhat inexpensive in order to accomplish all the goals we have as a society. Work, research, uh, personal uses, these are things where, that energy fulfills on a daily basis. And thanks for correcting me there. I even have that in my notes and I spoke wrong. So thank you for correcting me there and for that extra context. Um, so you are standing, you are a member on the standing committee of environment and social development. Um, sustainable think, development. Sustainable development. I'll get it right at some point, I promise. Um, so, you know, I think that many people are curious. I'd be curious to hear your thought. How do you, because when we talk about environmental issues, we often think about climate change. I think that that's kind of the mindset right now. Um, how do you, how do you think that the natural resources sector and climate change and the environment, how do you think they relate? What's, I guess, what's the solution to a problem that's kind of existed for a while now? Very good question. And I like to make sure people understand that there are all kinds of environmental problems we have right now that we need to continue to, to address. Uh, you know, greenhouse gases is one of the problems we need to address uh, very quickly. You think about everything we're doing in society, everything we consume has a carbon footprint in it because it has energy that's gone into it. And every energy system has an impact on the environment. We have to make sure we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater when we're changing energy systems. And I talk about, we talk about that a lot. Uh, what is the actual environmental footprint of the replacement technologies that will abate coal, that will abate oil and gas, uh, that will actually lead us towards you know, what might be uh, a better future. I've always thought that the best approach on this is energy efficiency. Now there's a bunch of nuances in there because the cheaper we make energy, obviously the less energy input going into energy output, if you will, um, the more efficient that energy will be. Think about all the losses that happen in the energy transportation. That's something where you're actually losing something that costs you money, you produced, and that you're, 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 uh, you're getting no value for at the end of the day. Nevertheless, there are some consequences to hydrocarbon emissions at this point in time that we're trying to abate as much as possible. And it's important we find those abatements because you take a look at the world's energy structure right now, over 80% of the world's energy comes from hydrocarbons. And in 2010, so going back 13 years, over 80% of our of the world's energy came from hydrocarbons. So in the intervening 13 years, the world has spent trillions of dollars and we are still at, as a percentage, over 80%, almost exactly the same as far as the amount of energy that comes from hydrocarbons. We are consuming a lot more hydrocarbons around the world. There is no way of uh, escaping the fact that hydrocarbons are a very dense energy source. What we're trying to do is mitigate the harm that comes with burning those substances, whether it's coal, which we've done a very good job of moving away from in Canada, but natural gas and oil, they do have their impact. We've got to make sure that we're mitigating that impact as much as possible. Nevertheless, does doing away with oil and gas result in a better solution? Number one, you're going to have an unreliable system of energy. I always try and break it down to where does Canada's energy come from? And I really try and make it as basic as possible, if you can, Josh. Three sources. 
Okay. Energy comes from electricity. One call it 40% in Canada. And electricity, and then the second source would be natural gas. So industrial, industrial fuels, mostly natural gas. Call that 30%. And the other 30% is internal combustion engines. Now, in order to get our goods back and forth from where they are to where they need to go, you've got to burn some power to do that. That's what we're trying to transition right now to electric vehicles. And in some cases, that makes sense. And in some cases, that doesn't make sense currently. What we have to do is not throw the, let's just say, the baby up with the bathwater and ensure we still have a deliverable system for getting everything that goes back and forth across Canada available. So think about those three energy systems, electricity, natural gas, and internal combustion engines, so gasoline, if you will. Uh, and those internal combustion engines, we're trying to move to the electricity grid. If we did that, we've got to more or less double the electricity grid very quickly. And I've met with Electricity Canada, and they talked about that. They said, look, we are going to have to have double or triple the amount of electricity sources, but also the electricity transmission going forward if we completely do away with the internal combustion engine. There have to be other solutions here because that in itself, think about how many rivers are going to have to be dammed. Think about how many nuclear plants are going to have to be built to more or less double the electricity output from Canada's sources. Uh, so we do have our, our work ahead of us. Um, and nevertheless, there are other solutions too, all of which have a cost to them. So we've looked at carbon capture utilization and sequestration, where you actually produce the hydrocarbons and the power and the energy is consumed there. You try and move that carbon you produced underground. I do need people to know that that is not free. That when you're moving carbon underground, it costs money. It also costs energy. So you think about compressing and pushing underground and getting back into the uh, storage, the pores down, you know, down below ground where they were initially. That actually does take some work. So there's a, I'll give you a good example. There's a power plant in Calgary called the Shepherd Power Plant. It's owned by a company called NMAX. It's just outside the city. And it produces enough power for its customers in Calgary. However, it's going to have to move towards carbon capture and storage. It's a natural gas plant. In order to do the carbon capture utilization and storage associated with burning the natural gas there, it's going to consume about 30% more power to do that because you've got to use that power to move it underground, separate it, and then move it underground. So 30% more power isn't free. They're actually going to have to increase the amount of power they produce in order to move that underground. But that means, number one, a bigger footprint. Number two, 30% more cost, if you will, a function of 30% more cost. So I think we have to make sure people realize that the solutions we're looking at here are not free. And from the ratio that you and I talked about when earlier in this conversation, one thing in investing we always looked at in, in energy was a ratio called energy returned over energy invested. So you obviously want that number to be higher. Like if you get two times as much energy out as you put in, you're doing pretty good. Uh, so that energy return, if you get 2.1 to one, you're doing even better. You get three to one, you're all the way home. But that, once you start capturing 30% of the power in order to store it, you're actually getting off of that energy efficiency curve. Now I'll tell you, over the last 30 years in Canada, our amount of energy Per GDP per unit of GDP has gone down by 30%. So we are getting more energy efficient, 
a 1% a year. We have to go faster. And uh, these are the types of technologies I'm looking at right now to make sure we actually, uh, you know, get deliverable solutions that are more environmentally friendly and yet don't take us too far off of that energy efficiency curve. So I'm curious then because there's a word that you haven't mentioned yet, and I'm going to be honest, I was expecting you to use it by now. It's carbon tax. The government's, it seems like the government's solution right now has been to put the carbon tax in place, say, you know, you got to pay for what you pollute into the environment. Um, the Conservative Party is not supportive of that. I don't think that you guys have ever been supportive of that. Instead of a carbon tax, are these some of the solutions then that you think that could be um, looked into more? Yeah. Well, first of all, carbon tax is two words, Josh. <laughs> but the whole issue about the carbon tax that the Liberals have implemented here is it's not designed to do anything except cost Canadians. It's a money in, money out scheme, if you will. Here, we're going to take money from you at the pump, but we're going to pretend we're writing checks back to you that the government gives you once in a while so you remember how much money we're giving you. That is not the way to look at how you price pollution. Uh, you have to look at more inventive ways of actually decarbonizing than that. You take a look at Alberta that has the, you know, the country's first output pay, output, output based pricing system for its large emitters. And that has been a real winner and it's gone through a couple evolutions, but it's been a real winner as far as identifying the 60% of the carbon that comes from large emitters and actually putting a price on it for them course that price usually flows right through to the consumer at the end of the day so it makes something you know more expensive to the consumer no matter no doubt about it but it collects it better it also sequesters the money you're collecting so that the government can and it's got a bunch of mechanisms in Alberta where it has invested those funds into emerging technologies that are decarbonization technologies when you're just collecting money for shuffling it back and forth like the government does with their carbon tax you're not actually building on solutions Alberta's output output based pricing system delivers solutions and that's what we need to do we need to look at these technological solutions and I'm glad that the Conservative Party under my leader uh, Pierre Poiliev we've actually looked at the green technology that needs to lead us out of where we are right now uh, and that's what we have to do we've got to find those mechanisms to make sure we're paying for progress not just spending money for the sake of spending money but actually making progress on emissions without cutting the legs out from the producers in society. I'm curious, how do you think that, because you, how do you think this all affects young people? This like energy transition that we're probably gonna go into and you know, the changing landscape of how we uh, produce, use and collect energy. How do you think this all affects young people? Well, very much. I mean, it's, it's gonna affect, we, we, we've seen the impacts of, if you will, you know, the, the changing climate, um, temperatures are going up. Uh, let's not, you know, let's land there. Temperatures are going up. The, the mean temperatures are going up. Uh, so that has a bunch of impacts around the world, including, if you think about it, in tidal areas, in Canada's north in particular, we're actually losing some, some uh, biodiversity the way the tides come in. There are all kinds of effects that's having. Uh, what can we do about it? Well, number one, we're going to cake that's half-baked. Got to acknowledge that, too, that things are going to, are, are, are warmer, particularly up north, and are going to get warmer no matter what we do here. We also have to acknowledge 
that everything we're doing uh, doesn't matter unless we get China, India, and the other developing Asian and African economies towards more of the solution as well. And those solutions involve Canadian technology. Right now, you take a look at the amount of coal that's coming online in Asia and in Africa, and we've got off, we've almost got completely off of coal in Canada. We've reduced it significantly. And yet that is the number one emitter of CO2, and they have expanded exponentially in Asia and Africa. Now, there's two sides to that story because they do need energy to move their economies to the same stage where our economies have been in the, in the developed world. Um, so we can't just necessarily say, well, you can't develop anymore in the in the developing world. They want to catch up with what we have, if you will. Um, so we are actually moving and costing ourselves more in the equation. You and I talked about this earlier. The thing about carbon, it's embedded in everything. It's energy embedded in every good you buy. That computer behind you, Josh, that's got a whole bunch of carbon in it. It's got a whole bunch of oil products, but the the production of electronics in particular has a huge carbon footprint. A lot of that's gonna be produced in Asia. We have offshored a lot of our production in North America towards Asian manufacturers because they don't have the same reg regulatory standards, they don't have the same environmental standards, and they don't have the same labor standards because their labor is not as advanced as ours is. Uh, as a result, we're importing more goods from those developing countries as they move their way up that, uh, prosperity chain, and we're still way ahead of them. The question is, how do we address the world's climate when those developing economies continue to emit large amounts of carbon, and we cut back and cut back and cut back? We're not only cut back on, on emitting carbon, we're cutting back on our economy because we have those jobs by necessity move offshore. This is something we have to wrestle with. What are we accomplishing at the end of the day? Now, one of the big solutions we talk about as far as that offshoring goes, is making sure we try and get more clean Canadian energy offshore. That means natural gas. Natural gas has a 50% fossil, well, 50% of the carbon footprint that the coal it's going to replace in Asia. It's twice as expensive, if you will, to get it all the way there, but it, the impact it has on the environment for the world's environment, not for Asia's environment, you have to remember there's no envelope around Canada that says, hey, what you produce here is only going to affect the environment here. We get affected by the environment, whatever, wherever it's produced around the world. The world is warming. It's not warming because of just what happens in Canada. So find the big solutions here that are going to get the big numbers down. And I think LNG is one of those big solutions. And we're doing our best to try and move this government to the table to say, it doesn't matter what you measure here. It matters what you measure around the world. So get towards those big world solutions, not your parochial local solutions that aren't affecting the world that much. Find the bigger solutions and move there as quickly as possible. All right, I'm running really short on time. So let's do a quick rapid fire round and then I'm gonna ask you my last question, all right? All right, first question. Um, would you, would you agree that a small managed federal deficit is okay? I would agree that deficits are okay in the short term. I think every government should figure out how to balance their own books. So call that on a four-year cycle or a five-year cycle, but effectively you've got to go through those economic ups and downs and every government should pay its own way. That's what I think. 
All right, this is the budget. You voted against it. What's wrong with it? Forty-one billion, but an extra sixty billion over the over the next five years that they plowed into spending. After the minister of finance herself said that they're already overspending at this point in time, and then she, she completely ignored it when she put together the budget. The numbers are just pie in the sky. There's a whole bunch that's not included in there. Her numbers on the the interest rate alone on the debt is wrong. So you you take a look at next year. They're forecasting the uh, the debt service charge, that is the amount of interest the government's going to pay for carrying the debt it has, she forecasts that at $44 billion. And in fact, she's way off already because she predicted that the bank rate would go down and the bank rate is still going up. So these numbers are continuing to increase. The more these numbers increase, the more they accumulate in the debt and the more they affect the debt service getting larger and larger and larger comes a point in time here where it over it overwhelms everything else in the budget and it is not discretionary funding your financiers if you stop delivering the interest that they require from their investment in Canada and Canada bonds you will default and that default will be painful for the country so this is money that goes off the table first before Canadians get health care before they get any sort of benefit from it. Uh, this hurts them in the pocketbook immensely. All right. What's your favorite part about being an MP? This is some of my favorite part of being an MP, Josh. I got to tell you, when I get to go in front of schools out home uh, and people ask me questions, uh, that's my favorite part because uh, there's there's so much going on uh, and get to hear what you know the questions people have because when you listen to the questions people have, you also understand you know, what their concerns are. So that feedback about, you know, what, what are you thinking and the questions you're asking me, it also lets me know where society is at different levels, uh, you know, different age levels, if you will, what the biggest concerns are. So that, that to me is the best feedback I get. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, what kind of, what kind of kid you're talking about? Give, give me an age. Eight. When I was eight, I wanted to be a soldier. <laughs> That's really interesting. I've yeah. Well, my dad was initially in the military. Uh, he was in Air Force. Uh, and, you know, I I, uh, I I watched a lot of movies when I was a kid. And you think about all the heroes <laughs> you watched on TV. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, that looked like what I wanted to do. Uh, kind of an action-paced job, if you will. Uh, but, um, you know, that didn't come to pass. And I, I came on and I did other things as I got older. So when I became more like 15 and I had, you know, paper roots and everything else, uh, I didn't want to get into business. I wanted to be a businessman. So that's, uh, that's my evolution. All right. My last question for you, uh, MP McLean, what, if you had to go back and give yourself your 14 year old self, one piece of advice, what would that be? Well, when I was 14, I was quite impatient. Uh, and I think I am still sometimes impatient. Uh, but, you know, make sure you take time for yourself in that impatience. Uh, set your goals and uh, make sure you're living life at the same time as you're moving forward on all the goals you have. Some of your goals need to be personal goals, not just work goals. Uh, but some of those goals, when you spend time with your friends, with your family, 
those are the memories you're going to hang on to for the rest of your life. So build that in to all your success metrics is the time you spend with the people you love. All right, Greg McLean, thanks so much for coming on Political Debrief. Josh, thanks for having me. Wonderful talking to you again. Great to see you. And that's it for this episode of Political Debrief. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I would invite you to subscribe down below to get notified whenever we post a new episode. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Josh Oliverio. Uh, and you can also sign up down below uh, to our email list so you can get an update whenever we post a new episode. That's it for this week. Be back in a couple weeks with another new episode. Thanks again for listening.